This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Exchange. If you're a frequent listener of the show, you know we talk about retention, post-purchase, and community as the new playbook in e-commerce. Then the way that brands used to succeed is dated. Well, today we have a guest on the show that has been in the D2C e-com space for over nine years, and he's seen all of these playbooks come in and out of favor. It's my pleasure to welcome Sam Mendelson, co-founder of Savannah Spirit, to The Exchange. Sam, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Great. Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, a uh, question for you to kick us off. So you've been in e-com D2C for, for nine years, and that's quite a, quite a long time for a fairly new space. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how that journey started. Yeah, for sure. So um, basically, Savannah is actually quite old company. It was uh, founded in 1994 by my dad. Um, my dad used to own a screen print embroidery company, kind of making t-shirts and uniforms for... Uh, like restaurants and stuff like that. And, uh, he's an old school hippie. So, um, when he was making all these shirts for everybody, he one day basically decided to make a a t-shirt with a gnome symbol on it. So he made one of those stoked on it. All of his hippie friends want some. And then kind of from there, he built this little side hustle next to his main business where he's just essentially aggregating different, like, you know, uh, spirituality products that he really liked. And was selling it to basically his friends. And then it kind of just kept on growing a little bit by bit. Like this is back in the day of like catalogs and like print advertising. Um, so then, so basically that was working out pretty good. It was just, again, side hustle for him. Um, he ran that for a couple of years. And then uh, he launched a website, I think, like, dude, this so long ago. I, I don't think there's even tracking. Like they don't, they didn't have like conversion metrics at the time. It was like really, you just like, you had a sale appear on your site. And that's like, that's all you know. <laughs> So anyway, he launched a website. It was uh, it was going again, still a side hustle, and then uh, he got it. I think up to like about um, I think a half a million a year. So it was actually pretty substantial, I guess, uh, e-commerce business at the time. And uh, he started running some Google ads. Fast forward to two thousand eight, the market crashed. Google advertising became extremely expensive, and at that point, he's pretty much ready to retire. Um, so he just turned off all advertising, kind of stopped focusing on it. He sold his other company. And, uh, he basically decided to just sell off the inventory and let like just natural customers and like come back and buy, buy out all of his inventory and, you know, just turn it all back into cash anyway. So, uh, basically again, fast forward another three years, it's about 2011, 2012. He still had probably about $50,000 of inventory just sitting in his garage. And, uh, he got an email from, um, the domain that he had to update the software and update the website. Otherwise they'd have to shut him down. Um, so he contacted my brother, uh, who at the time was working for RGA in New York as a creative designer, um, to help him basically relaunch a website. And then kind of the question then became like, well, who's going to ship everything? Um, so anyway, me, my brother, my dad got together, had a chat about it. And the general plan was that, uh, we would relaunch a new website on this, you know, little company, this is a little new company called Shopify. Uh, that only had 16 employees at the time. <laughs> and uh, basically, my brother relaunched the website. I would basically run all the uh, shipping just from the garage and um, went from there. And then kind of just over the years, it just kept on growing and growing. Um, we found Facebook marketing early on, a uh, long time ago, back when like you'd actually, you're advertising, you're advertising to get Facebook likes was like the only thing you could do on the Facebook ads manager. Um, so... 
ran that. And it basically over the course of a couple of years, it became our full-time gig and just went from there, took over our lives. That's awesome. So you've seen kind of the full history of what well, one Shopify, but also online marketing. And I do want to ask you a couple questions about um, old acquisition plays, and like the balance with retention and that sort of thing. But I think it's important um, just to give our listeners an understanding of what does Savannah sell? What's the brand all about? Yeah, so it sells basically anything to uh, to further your spiritual um, lifestyle. So basically, it's kind of I would say a lot of people relate us to like a yoga wear company, but we're kind of like yoga wear, athletic wear adjacent. So for example, you know, you probably go to Lululemon or Prana for your actual clothing. We kind of support everything else to do with that lifestyle. So that would be home decor, jewelry, um, you know, malas clothing to some extent, not non-athletic clothing, basically. Um, and uh, typically we attract a consumer that is uh, very into the spiritual lifestyle, kind of new age spiritual lifestyle. And, and you know, when, when thinking about trying to build a brand in a space like that, where like yoga, like the brands you just talked about, like Lululemon, for example, like that type of buyer feels like they would be different from someone who is into the sort of the, the kind of the full lifestyle of all the other spiritual aspects of yoga. So how do you, how do you think about creating a strategy that attracts like a subset of a larger strategy? Like what are some of the things you've done to attract those buyers? Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, to put into further context, we've been around for a long time. We started the company when me and my brother were fairly young. Um, nothing was planned, nothing was organized, nothing was intentional. Um, and it just kind of organically just kind of like kept on following the path of least resistance. So actually Savannah, when we relaunched the company in 2011 on Shopify and we started selling off the rest of inventory, we certainly were like, we had something here and we decided we need to start buying more products. Our first thought was like, Hey, you know, there's no place where you can go online and buy all these brands. So like Lululemon, Prana, Manduka, all the, like all the stuff that you, you know, you'd know every, everyone knows now at this, uh, at this time. So anyway, our kind of idea was to be like, kind of like the yoga outlet store almost. Um, so we started buying all these products and selling them, uh, on our site and lo and behold, there is no margin in that. <laughs> and we were getting, we were getting clobbered and turns out shipping like 30 pound yoga mats, uh, is extremely expensive. So we basically were, we started selling a lot. We like, you know, we were growing, but basically we were making no money, if not losing some money. And, uh, we quickly realized that this is not a good idea. This is not a good space to be in, um, at least for us at the time and with our experience level. So we kind of started looking for other products to add into the, uh, add into the mix. And, you know, we found, but one of our biggest categories to start was actually like fair trade Tibetan jewelry. We knew some uh, we knew some people through like uh, previous suppliers we had um, from when my dad was running the company years ago, and uh, so we launched these like little bra- like fair trade Tibetan bracelets on the site, and they took off and like they just connected with Facebook. They just crushed it, and we sold like that was like almost forty or fifty percent of our sales was like one product. And uh, from there, we just realized like, hey, like there's so much more margin in this. There's so much more like loyalty. We're not competing online for keywords or SEO or anything else like that. Um, so it was uh, it was clearly the path of least resistance. And we just kind of went from there. Yeah, it's interesting. It like going from outlet store like supplier and then finding like a new product. It's it's like yeah, following the path of least resistance to get there and. One thing that I really admire about 
Savannah is not just like the product selection and what you guys are selling, but also the community and the content that you've built around the brand. So for those listening, if you check out Savannah East, it's blogs, podcasts, all sorts of things. Sam, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that strategy. Yeah, um, that was actually pretty cool. So uh, basically, at some point years ago, um, you know, we, we kept on getting questions through customer service or social media that people were like, oh, what does OM mean? What does, you know, uh, you know, Ganesh, the, you know, the Hindu god mean? Uh, asking all kinds of different like meanings behind the products that we we're selling. Um, and uh, so we started, we had a buddy of ours who was a writer and we, we contracted him to start writing some articles for us because he was really into that kind of thing. And uh, we, we started like kind of like a little sub, sub blog to our site. Um, it kind of, it did really well. People really, really responded to the content. And what ended up happening was we actually had people reaching out to us saying like, hey, do you mind if I write something? I'm actually like an expert in Ayurveda. Um, and there's no like platform or place where I can really write about this. And I think that it'd be really cool to be, you know, part of your community. So we started getting like people reaching out to us, asking to write on our site. And we're like, well, again, path of least resistance. Uh, and also this is content we don't have to pay for. Um, great. You know what I mean? We'll just make sure to edit it and make sure it's good. But anyway, so, uh, that kind of really, really got dialed in and, you know, over time it just kind of kept on scaling where we realized like, Hey, this is working out really well. It's a great way to like build a community way to kind of infect, let's say like different small communities with our product and our message. And, um, so we started actually doing outreach and reaching out to uh, other writers on different sites. And it's just kind of started snowballing and got to the point where we were using, um, it wasn't Typeform, I forgot what the uh, survey software was, but we used to have all the articles submitted to us, submitted through a survey app. And uh, it got to the point where it was too overwhelming to do that. So that's why we built actually like, we basically looked at Medium and kind of re-engineered our own version of their submission portal for articles and we basically made it user facing so users can come on create an account submit articles you know submit it and then basically just submit to our editors our editors edit it publish it kind of so it became basically a, a niche like kind of yoga lifestyle version of medium um over time it it, it it struck me when when i was looking at the blog like you guys are almost running two businesses side by side you're running an e-com business and then I mean, I don't think I'm overstating it when I say it's almost like you're running a production business too, because I mean, there's an entire free yoga class section. Uh, you have a podcast, you have events, you have the blog. I mean, how do you, how do you sort of fit those two strategies together? And how do you, you know, if, if, you know, there are e-com brands out here listening who are building an audience through content, like what advice would you give them that you've sort of already lived through? Yeah. Um, I would say that basically, yeah, they are almost like they could actually be regarded as two separate companies. I think this strategy really has just been brand awareness. We've, in terms of like, if we look at the analytics, it it drives a fair amount of traffic and a fair amount of uh, domain authority and awareness of the brand. I would say that it's not necessarily like a great like source of acquisition, you know, like it doesn't pull in a massive amount of sales. But what's interesting is that like, taking into account, like for example, we have the Savannah podcast on iTunes. Um, we found that like, we weren't getting any conversions from it. Like we would put like tons of like at kind of, we'd have our hosts like say different ads and stuff like that in it. And it didn't really convert very well. It barely broke even if you were looking at terms of like discount code tracking. 
Um, but what's interesting is that like when we took a pause on it for briefly, they, uh, we immediately got like a ton of emails from customers. They're like, Hey, are you guys not recording podcast episodes anymore? Like, why not? I love it. So it's funny. Cause like the tracking on podcasts isn't super good and you can't really tie it super well back to e-commerce. But, um, it's interesting that just, so there's like such an outpouring of people being like, Oh, like, I love it. I listen to it all the time. So I think that the content strategy that we've taken is really mainly for retention and just kind of like people can only buy so much, especially depending on your product and your average order value and what kind of you know niche you're in in terms of e-commerce. And if they can't buy from you every day, what can they do with you every day? And they can consume content every day, you know? And so if they're going to be consuming content, why not be with us versus, you know, somewhere else? Yeah. It reminds me a lot of what Ty Haney did when she built Outdoor Voices. And I feel like I've talked about this example uh, maybe one other time on the podcast, but she was an expert at building a community first and really understanding who her customers were, what they wanted, what they liked, what they didn't like, and how to keep people connected long before she ever even had a product. And um, what you just uh, what you just described felt really, really similar to me. And, and it feels like that strategy is a huge part of like how you stay connected with people and how how it's flipping that how how customers stay connected with you yeah yeah i would say that definitely it's a great way to engage people and also another thing too is that like for example i i, I hadn't realized this until later but like you know when let's say you reach out to a, an author or a writer or you know someone who's making youtube yoga videos and you say like hey we want to have your content on our site they get all pumped they're like oh sweet this is you know another channel to get exposure and community to be part of they get stoked you know that's one that's them who's basically been now introduced to our brand, the Savannah brand. But in addition to that, now, theoretically, if they were to share that article on their social media that they publish on our site, now we've basically touched all their followers as well. And like, I think uh, we were looking into the SEO recently of the blog. And like, I think uh, it was like, it was the amount of backlinks we have is absolutely nuts. Cause we have like an automate, we have an automation that sends out that when we publish someone's article, it sends like an email saying like, Hey, if you want to put this on the site, like here's a snippet from your article that you can use and here's the link. And if you could put it on your site, that'd be great. And I think we have something like some stupid amount of backlinks now. So like the domain authority of Savannah East is just outrageous. And obviously that's lifted Savannah's domain authority for SEO as well. So it's had a huge impact for SEO for us. It seems like an amazing tip right there with, hey, we're publishing from other people here. And as soon as you do, giving them the ability to like point people to that and it's a benefit to both parties. So it seems like a no brainer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way. I like, I don't know if you guys have read the book, The Tipping Point, but like, uh, that's kind of one of the ways I imagine. I mean, you see it now with influencer marketing, it's the same way as that people are kind of like, they're trying to infect like micro communities. Um, so I think that was like, not necessarily intentional what we did, but that's kind of what we were essentially doing was basically infecting all these like micro communities within our particular niche. Um, and so far, it's been working out pretty well. And with everything you have on Savannah East, with all those different content types, is there is there one, you talked a bit about the podcast, is there one that is influencing behavior he said hey people can't buy from you all the time but they can consume content like are you seeing one of these be more effective for that than the other um the articles is just the easiest just because it pulls in the most traffic organic traffic for the site so that's the biggest and also they're really easy to pop into emails and stuff like that and drive traffic to i would say that like yeah articles are the best but again like it's kind of crazy like i kind of i don't really think about all the time because it's not a the major uh, point of focus for me anymore with savannah east but 
like I think we get anywhere from 20 to 30 articles submitted to us a day. Wow. And we get like, yeah, we get like five or 10 YouTube videos like submitted to us a day. So like originally when we launched our like free yoga section, which is essentially like a repository of essentially YouTube content. It's like, that's all it is. It's all just YouTube content embedded onto our site as like in an easier format to find. But what's crazy is that like when you try and find something on uh, YouTube, you can't really find it super easy. You need to type in the keywords on our site. You can just go in, type in like, oh, I like this teacher. I like this type of style. And it just like pulls up all the options. YouTube, we get uh, those videos. I, don't, I wouldn't say that like I can't really track like metrics of how many people use it and how many people buy or how great it impacts retention. But we get the most emails on our videos for sure. Yeah, it's like the whole the whole idea of content i just think it's it's super underutilized in e-commerce i feel like a lot of b2b companies and other other software companies use content very strongly but it's not a playbook that gets used too much in e-commerce so um it's awesome to like get all those tips and tricks from you you know actually sorry before we move on so something for e-commerce owners to know what's fascinating is we actually have so we have a savannah spirit you know email list which is our retail emails that we send almost daily or every two or three days and we have a Savannah East email list that we basically have built up through like pop-ups or widgets on the site. And interesting, uh, fun fact to know. So our uh, blog, obviously like our, we send out, we have two lists, uh, retail list, blog list is what we call it. Our blog list has about 300,000 active users and we send out daily emails on that. And our open rates are anywhere from like 25 to 30%, click rates around two to 3%. And it drives at least like, a fair, like not a massive amount of sales, but at least like 10% of our sales that day, anytime we send it. So it's kind of, it's pretty crazy how much engagement it's driven for us. Like just having that as like a, you know, a constant way to communicate. You have something to say if you have content. If you don't have content, you have nothing new to say to people and then you have no reason to talk to them. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's tough to always email people with basically the message of, hey, come buy something. Yeah. But if you have all of that content, you always have a value add reason to be reaching out to them. So I think that's super smart. Sam, one thing that you and I have talked about in the past is like you built up this content strategy with Savannah East for Savannah. And one thing we've talked about is the idea of paying for acquisition too early before you find product market fit. I think what we kind of originally connected on LinkedIn was I think a question I posed to the community, which was basically, at what point should you be reinvesting back into acquisition once you've determined how like a certain uh, repeat purchase rate on your Shopify analytics? So for example, like Savannah, 50% of all of our customers are repeat buyers on a given day. Um, versus the new companies, it's, it's obviously was very low for the first month and then watching it grow and uh, monitoring you know, how many people are coming back and what the lifetime value of those customers was. Um, it's definitely something you need to watch out for, especially initially, um, to make sure that you're set up to actually grow and scale in a healthy way. Because having been in e-commerce for a long time, Facebook is like a very dangerous tool uh, to become addicted to. It's almost like getting addicted to a drug. And, you know, like when me and my brother were younger scaling Savannah, you know, it was literally just like pumping as much money as we could into Facebook, scaling as fast as we possibly could. And then obviously, I don't know how long everyone who's listening to this has been in the game, but like, I, I think it's like 2015, 2016 is about when I think if you look at the growth trajectory of a lot of the, the really most popular uh, D2C brands out there is when they all hit a wall or a plateau. 
Um, and that was because acquisition, like Facebook suddenly became mainstream and the market got saturated. And so we had a massive pullback where suddenly, you know, we were acquiring all these customers, but we hadn't, we hadn't had given it enough time for them to repeat buy. And suddenly our cost per acquisition was skyrocketing. And we were basically in this position where we couldn't continue to spend as much money. We had to both start lowering our ad spend to survive as well as basically having our costs go up. And it just, it, it was like a two to three year hangover period before we finally like caught back up to where we need to be. And now we're in like a safe, healthy uh, growth trajectory that we're le- much less uh, addicted to the idea of growth and much more happy with the idea of just growing, you know, off of customer uh, retention because it's a very, it's a very stressful thing to do. You know, when suddenly your acquisition turns on you. Right. We, we talk about that all the time at loop about how the old playbook and Alex talked about this at the beginning, the old playbook, which really isn't even that old is spend as much as you can. Like once you find a product where you have product market fit, spend and spend and spend and spend. And often it's through, you know, Facebook ads or through Google, but you know, make the acquisition process as smooth and as frictionless as possible. But I think it's, I think what you just said is sort of, you guys are living proof of if you don't also have some kind of experience set up post-purchase to drive repeat purchases, to drive a loyalty, to keep people connected to your brand, um, then you are, you're in a lot of trouble because you're at the mercy of Facebook's algorithm and the amount that you can spend. And, um, you know, I'm just like, what, what, what tips would you give to folks who have been, maybe they're still in the middle of that two-year hangover, um, and they're they the only way they know how to grow is through acquisition? Like, what, what have what have been some of the lessons that you have learned on the retention side that you could share? So, one of the things, uh, at least the approach to acquisition, uh, I would say that one of the things that's been working out well with our two new brands is that once like I, obviously we we pumped a certain amount of money into it to just get it like the wheels turning and the the train moving um but then we fixed the amount that we'd spend in advertising to a, uh, a fixed percentage of the previous month's revenue so for example that way we know like okay this advertising that we're going to spend this next month is already paid for um it's already you know it's already baked into how much revenue we do but in, and we know that's like, oh, what our, our margins are, everything else. We know that this is a safe amount. So worst case scenario, if we do just what we did last month, we're in a great position. We fix it as a percentage of the previous month's revenue. And then we don't, in, we increase it only if our revenue goes up. So basically the only way, and the only way for your, if you're not raising your ad budgets, the only way for your revenue to go up is your AOV has to go up, your conversion rate has to go up, or your retention has to come up. Um, which basically means you have to focus on other things to get your revenue to basically move forward, move the needle, and then you're allowed to go and have fun increasing your budgets. Um, so that's one strategy we've been taking with uh, with the new apparel brand, and that's been working out really well. I think in the past two months, I kind of, uh, I kind of went against that just slightly, and I regret doing so. Um, just, just because it was like we had a we had to meet a lot of minimums in terms of our purchasing for the apparel brand, and now we just like we just need more sales to pay for it. Um, but plan is to go right back to that strategy because it's a very it's a much more comfortable way to operate, and it's just it's great to just allow customers to like come back and like feel your growth versus like just trying to basically, you know, 
work out just some numbers magic and just dump everything back into Facebook. I just don't like doing that. I feel like it's a very uncomfortable position to be in. But um, in terms of like how to move up your average order value, how to uh, increase your conversion rates and all that stuff, uh, specifically like the strategy I take is just in general. I think this is kind of one of the, uh, the things me and Alex connected on is that uh, my favorite quote out there is uh, advertising is a tax you pay for being unremarkable. Love that. Um, Amen. It's like, yeah, I think I heard that on like a Y Combinator video or webinar or something like that. But I was like, hearing that, I was like, just like, holy shit, man. Like, that's pretty humbling when you spend, when your day revolves around spending money on acquisition and you're like, why is my ROAS so low? You know what I mean? Like, why is my, uh, why is my cost per acquisition so high? And you have to stop and consider like, well, maybe it's just because you're not remarkable. You know, because like the remarkable versus unremarkable when you were talking earlier about like putting those checks and balances in place where, hey, I'm not going to up my ad budget until I have like a certain repeat customer rate or my average order value increases. And by forcing yourself to do that, you actually find those places where you can be more remarkable. I can be more remarkable with my unboxing experience. I can be more remarkable with how I engage with the customer after they make a purchase. So I think above all, the biggest takeaway from what we're talking about today, Sam, is like, don't get addicted to acquisition. And I think this is a good place to actually like close this off with that. And um, for everyone listening, I really encourage you to follow Sam on LinkedIn. He's super active in the e-commerce community. But before we sign off, Sam, is there anywhere where um, our listeners can also get in touch with you besides LinkedIn? Uh, that's primarily it. Just so yeah, hit me up. You can hit me up or DM me on LinkedIn. Um, don't try and sell me anything though. <laughs> I think we all, I think we all know what LinkedIn's like nowadays. Um, so anyway, yeah, I really enjoy connecting with people. I really enjoy connecting with other e-commerce owners. Um, it's just really fun. I get a lot of out of, out of it personally, and um, I learn a lot. I've tried to make an effort to be more active on LinkedIn just purely to expand my network. And some of the people I've become in contact with since then have just been amazing. In fact, actually, like I think that's also a huge component on why our brand, our new brands are scaling decently well off of being focused on retention versus acquisition. Um, is largely due to the community within LinkedIn that I've met. So, so if you're an e-com brand listening, connect with Sam on LinkedIn. Um, he's looking to hear from you. If you're trying to sell him something, don't bother. <laughs> uh, and that's <laughs> thanks for joining us this week, Sam. That's been this week uh, on the Exchange, and we'll talk next time. That's been the Exchange presented by Loop, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.